like you mentioned, I did an internship with Craft Sports Group in college. No one ever talks about that part of my life. Um, and I just kind of like fell into that. And it was basically just like uh, the Patriots have this like outdoor mall called Patriot Place that's like connected to the stadium. And my job was literally just to walk around with an iPad and uh, ask people about their experience at Patriot Place. It was like a five minute, 10 minute long survey. And I had it memorized by the end of the summer. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today uh, has the running legs I wish I had. He's a sub-four-minute miler, qualified for the Olympic Marathon Trials both in 2016 and 2020. Currently working at Tracksmith, where he's the senior community manager, um, coaching a number of athletes, I think a couple hundred from what I saw, and then also... Uh, building a community of runners, which we're definitely going to talk about. Welcome to the show, Lou Serafini. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for spending the time this afternoon. Um, but like we said before we got going, you still got work to do for the rest of the day. So I always appreciate people taking the time out of the day to, you know, hang out with me, spend an hour, chat running. Although a lot of people aren't also working and running and building a running community. So Sometimes it's a divergence from their everyday, whereas this is probably more closely resembles your regular workday. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I'm, it's always flattering uh, to get these kinds of requests. So it, it's I try to make time for them <laughs> when they rarely come come along. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's nice to come on and like you said, just you know, talk some running and talk community, and that's that's my that's my job. So um, so yeah, I love when it overlaps. Well, I mean, it seems like. Um, you've done a number of, I kind of looked at your LinkedIn, you've done a number of jobs that seemingly seem to lead almost pretty well to where you are now. Like the, the series of jobs, I think you were uh, for a very brief period of time working with, you know, New England, uh, the Patriots, and then, you know, moving on from there and then eventually, you know, working at a retail running store and then on to Trexman. It's like, it's all like, you know, a little bit encapsulated in the same uh, kind of platform, as opposed to like uh, one of the guests I spoke with uh, this morning for me, but last week for the listener, um, he has a shoe company and he's been like all over them. He's done like everything. <laughs> so stand up comic at one point and he had a TV show where he like helped people diagnose computer problems in the nineties and he's been an internet marketer and just all over the place. But it seems like, you, you know, so far your career is a little bit more well encapsulated in kind of like marketing-ish and running. I'm, I'm glad that it, it seems like that. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not how it felt. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I Like you mentioned, I did an internship with Craft Sports Group in college. No one ever talks about that part of my life. 
Um, and I just kind of like fell into that. And it was basically just like, uh, the Patriots have this like outdoor mall called Patriot place. That's like connected to the stadium. And my job was literally just to walk around with an iPad and, uh, ask people about their experience at Patriot place. It was like a five minute, 10 minute long survey. And I had it memorized by the end of the summer. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't really, it was the only internship I could get that summer in college, but I'm a big sports fan. So it was cool yeah. to, I, you know, I walked, I watched Tom Brady, uh, walk by me one time. That was kind of cool. He's very <laughs> tall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, this wasn't the career path that I like kind of set out for when I graduated from college, I just kind of wasn't enjoying my day to day. I was working at a PR firm, which was really fulfilling. And I, you know, I liked, I liked my boss and I liked the company, but it just, you know, I, I didn't feel super happy. Um, so I just kind of fell into that, that job at Heartbreak, um, managing their retail store. And um, I spent a long time there. And then then Tracksmith reached out and was like, we're building a running community. We need someone to manage the store. And it was almost just kind of like it clicked. I was like, oh, like community, like that's what I do. Like, I didn't even know that was like a job or like a thing that I could, that I could do. Um, but what they had laid out for me was basically everything that I had been doing. So when you look back at it, yeah, it looks like a perfect like trajectory. Um, but at the time I, I, you know, I don't want to say I was lost, but I, I think I could have went down like any number of paths um, and just kind of happened to land here. So, well, it's like, it, it doesn't seem like you've done this. I'm kind of doing it for you in this particular case, but it's like, sometimes it's easier to look backwards and see things with clarity and be like, oh, well, of course it was leading here. And, you know, because you kind of like, it's a little easier to make up the narrative when you're looking backwards than it is to like try to look forwards and tread the path and like say, this is the exact path of how I'm going to get to such and such place. Um, but yeah, that happens with a lot of guests I have where it's like, they go, you know, you're thick in the woods and you're like, I don't have any, I mean, we can both relate to this, you know, running cross country and being running through like wooded courses. And you're like, where the hell is this going to pop out? Like, I have no idea. And all you do is you, you take the turns that are flagged. You just keep running as hard as you can. And eventually you'll pop out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the finish line will show up sometime. So it's like, I don't know. I frame, I stop framing stuff so much regarding running in life just because um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not on a team anymore. Co- college is a decade behind me. Um, but still internally, I feel like, the metaphors of running can apply to life so many times, but it's like all those little lessons from such a complex yet simple sport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why a lot of runners are so fond of the sport. It keeps us centered. It keeps us focused and, uh, and it's really, yeah, really relatable, like you said. So, um, I mean, the big thing for me too, just like, in terms of my career was like, I, I just think it's really important to meet people, form relationships and, and just like say yes to opportunities when they're in front of you. I think I, I went to Boston college, which is like, 
it was a, it was a great school. I had a ton of fun. A lot of my friends and teammates and colleagues there like had a plan from the moment they stepped onto campus, you know, like they were going to be a doctor or, um, go into finance. Like they, they knew exactly the steps that they wanted to take to get to where they wanted to go. And I've never been like that. So oftentimes I did feel like lost in the woods on a cross country course, you know, like, like, I don't know where, what I'm going to do or where I'm going to be. And, and at times it can feel um, stressful and scary. Um, and the thing that just kind of clicked for me, you know, in the, in the first couple of years after I graduated was just like, you know, just, just keep meeting people, keep talking to people, keep listening, keep learning. And, um, and if you do that, like doors kind of can start to open for you. Um, so if, if anyone else that's listening to this is like kind of struggling, you know, to figure out what they want to do or to find opportunities, just, you know, reach out to people, have conversations, you know, buy someone a cup of coffee, like that kind of stuff goes, goes a long way. So. Well, and, you know, I, I know for you listening, I don't know how old you are because I, I can look at the analytics and look at the age spread and stuff, but you in particular, I don't know you, the listener, not you, Lou. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, was say, <laughs> I, I, I turned thirty like four days ago. So. Yeah, I was like, you're two, you're two yeah. years younger than me. Yeah. Um, but it's like thinking about saying yes and opportunities and things. Like we're both, I guess, early thirties now. You've turned thirty, and but it's like it, the age part doesn't matter. Even though I, I think both of us are in some ways kind of settling in a little bit into careers, which a lot of people are at this age. There are some people that aren't. And I've spoken to those people on the, on the podcast. Um, so, you know, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to other ones, subscribe and all that good stuff and go check out some other ones. But the, the consensus I get from people that take these kind of winding paths is like, you don't necessarily know when the thing's going to open up. It's it, like when the right thing is going to come along. Like, I mean, taking like the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Stephen Sashin from last week, he's done so many different things and a lot of it has just been like saying yes like like he he has this company this shoe company now and he was telling me that he had basically been retired for like nine years before starting the shoe company and it was like almost an accident it was something he was interested in after reading born to run and they're like zero drop like sandal kind of things and it was like a personal interest, but then other people wanted it. So he made, he like started producing them and then it just kind of snowballed. He, he went from having a TV show to helping people with computers to having a, a shoe, shoe sandal company. Like th there's no <laughs> straight line in that path. And he's, I think, middle to late fifties now. I think that's right. Um, so it's like, you just, no matter where you are age-wise, if you continue that process, like you were talking about saying yes and talking to people, like you're probably going to wind up in a way different place than you thought, but mm -hmm. hopefully like a fulfilling place. Yeah. And that's, that's the other half. It's like making sure you're doing something that makes you happy. It's like, it's really simple. Like, um, I think if you follow your passions, like you're going to end up, you know, going to work excited about work as opposed to dreading it so that's definitely the other half of it for sure and that's where I, I kind of think I'm like I've worked 
to try to work my way back uh, here with like my company and trying to get related back to like the running community and, and endurance community a little more, um, even though the company isn't strictly speaking uh, have to be running related, just kind of my particular bend. So I kind of steer the boat that direction. But I find that people like us that are really into running and have been for a long time, it's like sometimes it's just an itch that's hard to scratch when you get beyond a certain point where it's like you know, you're post-college. In your case, you're fast enough to you know try to make the Olympics and do the Olympic trials and stuff. But many people, well, I roll, I know. But still, like it's it's – that's still like an objective goal that you can train for, right? Like I, I guess I could train for it, but realistically, Mm -hmm. that's probably not, that's, that's probably not an attainable goal for me. So many of us end up floating around like, well, what the hell do I do now? But I, I often find those kind of people trying some way to like wind their way back to a running related kind of profession, just to, have some like tangential grab on that experience that they grew up with. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's definitely like, I don't know. I, I have, I know a lot of people that, that keep running close to their lives in some capacity, whether it's work or joining a running club or something just as simple as like s- signing up for a race. Like I have so many friends and colleagues, people that ran, collegiately or in high school that kind of like lose the sport for a number of years and then and then come back to it later in life um and then on the flip side of that people that didn't run um but maybe played like another sport or or didn't but then find it later in life and it's kind of cool to see those two types of people kind of collide and um yeah running running can be super meaningful to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways so I want to dig in deeper to like, so what your job actually is at Tracksmith, but I want to take a divergence a little bit because you're talking about people coming to running later in life. Um, you you had a tweet about this. Um, I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, the Twilight 5000 series, or mm-hmm. Twilight 5000 races. Um, uh, I, I don't know that I understood the entire scope of it, but we're taking people and doing track track 5Ks as races. So you're probably like seeding out times and having people self-seed into groups and then breaking them out into whatever, 20, 30 people at a time for a race, something like that. Yep. So yep. So, so how does that all come together? Because, you know, I, it, it, I think as, I think somebody replied to your, um, replied to your tweet about it, talking about, not, you know, being excited to do it and you talking about people never having been on the track or let alone raced on the track before how does the genesis of that come about how is the experience i i think it already happened unless i'm wrong and then yeah did some pacing there as well yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah so twilight 5000 it's it's cool to like look at it now and see how how it's kind of evolved over the years so when i I've been a tracksmith for about four and a half years and now I kind of oversee like all of our community team and and we kind of focus on things a little bit more broadly. But when I first started, I was like hyper-focused on the Boston community. That's where our only retail store is. And 
Um, that's where, you know, we're, we're based and we just really wanted to form a strong community there. So, um, we do run clubs, um, a a Wednesday evening workout that's like speed or tempo, and then a Sunday long run. And I just felt like, I guess it would have been, was it four years ago, three or four years ago? I think it was my second summer with Tracksmith. Um, things were just feeling like a little stale in the summer, which makes sense when you think about it, right? Like people go on vacation. Um, there's not a lot of races to train for because it's hot. Um, maybe you're like starting the early seeds of like a fall marathon build. Um, but, but generally it's a quieter time for racing. And I just, I felt our workouts, our workout groups were thinning a little bit and it, we just, so I was just sitting in the lounge one day and I was like, let's just mix it up a little bit. And I like created a Facebook event. It was just for like a, a free summer 5k on the Charles river, um, which is totally flat for those people that aren't in Boston. And the concept is really simple. It's just like, we'll make it really accessible. It'll be free and we'll get pacers for different pace groups. Um, and just get run clubbers, you know, we'll get someone to run 15 minutes, 16 minutes, 17 minutes, all the way up to 30 minutes. And it was pretty good. We did it three times, like spaced one month apart. I think we had about 75 people show up for each of them. It was like pretty unsanctioned, you know, a piece of chalk down on the sidewalk, um, mapped out the distance with a GPS watch, like nothing fancy, got some volunteers to come out, like really grassroots, hand-timed, everything. Um, And I just felt like that event injected a lot of energy into the community that summer. So the following year, we banded out a little more. Um, We got, I thought, you know, like, let's, let's bring this over to a track um, give people a little bit more of a, like, you know, enclosed environment where they can focus on this. Um, and it was even better that year we had, you know, uh, probably double the amount of runners come out for that one. We branded that as we called it $5, 5k. So it wasn't free anymore. Right. Uh, we just charged five bucks. You know, the whole thing was like, let's just cover our costs. We're not trying to make money on this and, um, keep it super grassroots, still hand-timed everything. Same, same concept. Um, and then, then we had a year off obviously, and then we came back this year and, and still just felt really good about this concept and started to think about it a little bit more. And we're like, what, what is, what makes $5, 5k really special and unique and different. And I think what it is, is like, is boiled down as a, a lot of athletes, runners, you know, they've, they've done like local 5k's and you know beer runs and maybe some of them have even you know um gone out and run a bq or something like that but a lot of people don't have access to the type of race that like an elite or a sub elite athlete would have where you um go to the track there's a pacer there's music there's an announcer it's under the lights so the the conditions are really really good mm-hmm. um all those things where you're just like you're really set up for success from like the moment you step on the starting line that type of environment is not really available to the greater running community so you stripped down that is the basically the concept for what's now called twilight 5000 we have a couple community managers in New York now, and we also have a really strong relationship with Mill City Running, which is a run specialty shop in Minneapolis. So we, we were basically like, let's, let's bring this concept to a few more places and just see what happens. Um, so that's what we did. We've had 
two in New York so far, two in Minneapolis so far. And we actually have our second one in Boston this Saturday. Um, so we'll be doing that. And it's a ton of fun. Like we, we have six heats usually. Um, it's anywhere from 25 to 40 runners in a heat. Um, we've got pacers in every single heat, just like I said. And for a lot of people, it's, it's either their first time running a race on the track or it's their first time running a race on the track in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, they're just, they're set up for success and people are walking away running faster than they ever thought they were even capable of running because the only 5k they've ever run was, you know, a hilly road loop, um, where the focus of the event was getting a free beer afterwards and a t-shirt, um, that, that sits in their closet. So, um, so yeah, re- reading like the feedback, um, it's, it's been like pretty positive, um, just about people that, you know, ran faster than they've run in years or faster than they ever thought they could run, um, just because of the atmosphere and the environment that we set up. So that's sort of the goal. It's just, it's it set up like a grassroots community event, kind of like an all comers track meet, but has like, has the like nuts and bolts of like what an elite or sub elite would have if you mm-hmm. were to go to like a, uh, you know, a, a diamond league race or something like that. Obviously yeah. it's not like elevated to, the, to that point, but um, the bare bones of what you need to run fast are there. So yeah, um, my, my dog, sorry about that. <laughs> right. Let me go sure. close the door. One second. Okay. Yeah, sure. Sorry about that. She should calm down in a second. She just woke up from a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Cranky when she wakes up. No, it's, I mean, the, the, it's a really cool concept. And it's just, I think you even said in the tweet something about like, um, I'll say like elite or sub elite. Maybe I'm sub sub elite. Um, but just like, you know, I still have access. Like if I want to go run it, like a collegiate meet, like I'm still fast enough. I can go run at some of the local collegiate meets and go, you know, mid 16s or something like that, where it's like, it's not, I'm not setting the, the world ablaze, but like I can run with the guys and it's, it's, you know, fine. But like, I don't think I think about the vast majority of people can't just like go and run with collegiate athletes on a track and, and try to run like a new PR. So yeah. that, that's, and it's bringing this, this, it's bringing pretty much like a brand new sport to a lot of people. Like yeah. a lot of people, like maybe they've seen track on TV, maybe they ran in high school, like, and how, and kind of know what it is, mm-hmm. but like, it's different than like doing a road race, you know, you're locked yeah. in for 12 and a half laps. And, um, it's just really an opportunity to like, to push yourself in, in like ideal conditions. So, and yeah. the, the other thing too, is it's like, I like to you know, we work really hard on this. Like obviously Tracksmith, like we push ourselves, like we all were competitive athletes. Like we, you know, we do attract that, that committed runner who's trying to get better, but like we work really hard to, to make it a very welcoming and like not intimidating environment for people. Like that's why we have pacers. That's why, um, we bring in an announcer and like, make sure that the crowds are, are good and everyone's getting equal treatment across mm-hmm. the board as best as we can. Um, so that even if you're like, you know, running your first 5k ever, um, and you're, you're kind of at the back of the pack, 
you're getting total support from the entire community to, to run the best that you can run. So, um, so yeah. So how are you getting uh, with the crowd? Is that, is it largely going to be other runners? Is it, are you actually getting community members to come out to watch? Like how, how are you building that portion of it? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that one, it kind of depends, you know, uh, if you look at the photos from, you know, the final heats in like Minneapolis or New York or Boston, you could, you feel the crowd a little bit more. Like that's the thing that would be the hardest, I think, to like fan out across all six heats. Um, Cause we, what we do is we encourage people like when you're done running to hang out and spectate mm-hmm. um, some of the venues, you know, we can get like, you know, food and drink permits and people mm-hmm. can grab a drink or, um, or a slice of pizza or whatever and hang out and like kind of soak in the environment and cheer on races and we can bring people down the track and cheer and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, people bring their friends and family. Uh, we're, we're actively trying to, um, to get more community members involved for next year. I think, you know, one thing that would help would just be like getting the word out a little bit sooner, you know, with, with the pandemic, we kind of had to wait and hold and make sure we were going to be able to do it this summer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the crowds are largely driven by the community. So um, we're trying to build these really strong, organically grown communities in all these different cities Mm -hmm. so that like, there's not a lot of work needed on our end when we drop an event down like this, because people are excited about it. They, their friends are already going to it. Um, you know, they're following us closely. And, and then if they're the same thing, like we talked about not being intimidated, like if you're new, you know, because it's, it's in a really like friendly, organically grown community. If you're new, you show up and you feel hope the hope is that you feel instantly welcomed, and then you're just going to keep coming back. So, um, that's the goal at least. So. Well, you know, generally, like, I get the maybe like trepidation or intimidation to, well, let's go run 5k on the track, especially if you're unfamiliar, but also just like runners in general, I find are a pretty welcoming, warm, friendly community. Like, if you want to come out and run, we're happy to have you. Like, it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're going to run walk, or if you're you know, out to set a world record, like come out, you you know, you're going to get treated pretty well because it's something that we're passionate about. So if you're passionate about it, like you're in like that, that's, that's the only qualification you need. And I guess I'll even amend that and say, you don't even need to be passionate about it. You just need to be slightly interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's generally how it goes. You know, like I don't, I don't lead as many like group runs as I used to, but I still probably lead at least one a week. And, you know, I, I take pride in making sure that everyone that shows up to a run club has a good experience. And it's hard. Like, you know, if 150 people show up for a long run, you can't talk to, you physically cannot talk to 150 people and check in with them and make sure that they're having a good time. So in a lot of ways you do need to like, rely on that community and, and, and hope that like people are going to be inclusive and welcoming. And I think like we, as like community leaders can set that tone and it's like, and it's super important that we do that and that we, we make sure that, um, that people, people are, you know, being friendly and welcoming. That's, you know, we've got pacers that we bring in over a six month period. So we're not, 
they know the deal, you know, like they know how to be group leaders and, um, and to help kind of drive that energy. So, and it, it sucks when you get feedback uh, from someone that's like, oh, you know, it just wasn't for me or, um, you know, I felt, I felt ignored and that's, you know, that stuff happens and, and it's tough to get that feedback. Cause like, we all love the sport so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want everyone else to be immersed in it too, but, um, but it's part of the job and it's part of the challenge. And, um, that's the type of environment that we're trying to cultivate in as many areas as we can. That's kind of like, that's my job is like, let's, let's spread our love of the sport, um, very, very broadly and bring as many more people into it as we can. So, so what, I mean, if it can be broken down this way, like, what does your typical day look like? Like, what do you act? Are you, are you just sending emails off to people? Or are you out for a group? Or like, what, what are you actually doing from day to day? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, far from a typical day. Um, I will say my, my job changed uh, significantly uh, during the pandemic. We obviously were not hosting group runs for a very long time. So I took more, much more of an active role in like the day-to-day um, marketing and, you know, community building. And we did a lot more planning and, you know, a lot more newsletters and, and trying to like engage with people on Slack and like, and just in Strava and like uh, virtual things. And um, so, yeah, but, but now we're back to normal. So there's that, there's also that like in-person piece of it now too. So um so it can be a lot. Um, I also work in a lot of different like partnerships and collabs and, and things for us. So generally my day is pretty much filled with meetings. So um, I actually still work remotely. Um, I would say about 95% of the time. Um, so I'm, I've, you know, you heard the dog. So like I'm up, I, I try to get my run in, in the morning if I can and take the dog to the park. If not, if it's a lazy morning, I'm up coffee and, and open in the laptop pretty much like first thing and diving into emails because once the workday starts, we're pretty much in meetings, you know, for 70 to 80% of the, those hours, whether they're internal or external, um, chatting with other people on the marketing team and the community team about ongoing projects um, and things that we're planning and also just trying to make connections and, and grow. Um, and then outside of those nine to five hours or like when there's time in the day, it's, it's working on the products, projects that we have ongoing, um, the events that we're planning, answering emails, um, you know, trying to delegate to a team. That's something that's new for me. Um, and that's kind of like, I would say that is like the Monday to Friday. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we have the events that we're hosting, um, there's a Wednesday evening workout, like I said. So, um, you know, I've got some community leaders in Boston that help me with that, but oftentimes I'm there at 6 30 PM. That's the in-person part of my job. And then a really important piece is the Sunday long run, um, out of the track house in Boston, where that's the run that we get anywhere from 75 to 150 people, depending on the weekend. And, and then we have the twilight 5,000 events and, and there's things like that happening kind of like year round. So, Um, it's definitely not your typical, like, you know, desk job, you're expected to do one thing. Um, and that's kind of not what I signed up for either. Like at the end of the day, Tracksmith is, is growing and we're doing great. Um, or we think we're doing great. Um, but we're still small. We're still a startup, you know, like there's 35 people at the company. 
it's a lot of zone defense. It's a lot of wearing different hats, filling in when needed. Um, and, and people, I think know that when they, when they sign up. So it's definitely, definitely a, an, a fun thing about the job. So, yeah. Well, it, I mean, I can obviously relate to this having a, you know, a small business myself and then having an assistant who you would have talked to. And that's how we got you signed up to come to talk to me on the podcast and the video editor. Um, and then hopefully my <laughs> wife will come on board in the next year or so. Maybe we can get, get to that point, but there's something like, it's obviously challenging to wear a lot of hats, but at the same time, I find sometimes it can be fun to like be able to be nimble. Right. And I, it seems like in your, in your, even in your role, even if you're not in charge of the company, like you probably have some latitude in terms of like, I, I think this could help our objective. Like, you know, whatever Tracksmith's internal objectives are for your job. So like, you know, Hey, maybe this could help us do this. And you, you get a little bit of creativity to, to be able to do that. So it's like, you know, talking about the Twilight 5,000, I'm like, that would be cool to do. Like now I'm like, I need to talk to um, my college coach. who's now the head athletic director at the college I went to and just be like, could we do this? And would the... <laughs> he's a big track guy. He, he ran hurdles instead of distance, but um, he'll probably be down for the idea. So now I'm like thinking of that, you know, nimble kind of creative nature. I'm like, Hey, could I co-op that idea and take it off and um, well, so we do want to expand it to more cities so <laughs> yeah no in 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 we'll i'm sure we'll talk about it a little more off you know once we get done recording um because it would be great to have help figuring that out and you know yeah you know working together on putting stuff together stuff um but just there's something nice about being in a small company because yep. it's because you you get a little more freedom if you're in the right environment you don't get micromanaged by somebody whose only job is to micromanage you, yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. There's a, I think it's a gentle balance, right? right. Like um, I was, I think the ninth employee um, and there were seven of us when I was hired. So like, I remember the days when we didn't have an office, we just had the store, which is two floors. It was, it's a retail space and a lounge mm -hmm. and we were all just working open like floor space in the lounge together and so and you know the head of products on one side the ceos on the other side and the head of marketing's right in the middle and like we're all just kind of tag teaming it together and and a lot of the people that were on the team then are still on the team now so i think i'm really fortunate that i was able to come in at the time when i was and have these relationships with all these different people at tracksmith and i can I feel comfortable enough to like, to reach out to them cross-functionally. And at the same time, like, I think that we do a pretty good job of like, of keeping doors open, you know, even though like most people are remote right now, I, I think, you know, there is a, a comfort uh, to be able to, to go out to whoever you need to mm -hmm. uh, at a small company and, and feel okay to do that. Um, we we're, we're like a family, you know, um, and, and we try to, we try to be really inclusive and, and, and be able to, you know, keep those doors open on the other side. It's like, we're growing. And, and I think when you're wearing a lot of hats, um, often it can be difficult to do your job as effectively as you want to be doing it. So, so yeah, the other side of it is like, is, is being focused on kind of like what your goals and objectives are being really calculated and, and oriented towards, you know, what your ultimate 
thing you're trying to accomplish is, and then just focusing on that and getting that done. So I know for me, that's something that I'm like constantly working on. Like I doing things more impactfully and, um, as opposed to just like doing a lot that's like less impactful. So that that's kind of like my goal right now. But um, but for sure, like being at a small company, it's it's different than being at a big company. If you're if you're at a big company, you may never you may never be in cross functional meetings or get to to chat with with other people. Um, and I think that's one reason why I really like being at Tracksmith because because we can still do that kind of stuff. So yeah, well, it's like it, I can refer to. The- some of what you're talking about is like shiny object syndrome where it's like there's a lot of things you can do but what are the things that are the most effective and like how like and then like like self-selecting to prioritize the things that are effective and that's that, that doesn't even necessarily mean the things that you want to do but the things that are going to like drive the most results for whatever you're after and it's i mean i here I am on the podcast and it's like, you know, if I look at my company internals, I could say, well, the podcast is a waste of time, but like I have a vision and purpose for, for the podcast. And part of that is growing community um, and not just being a company that just sells shit and tells people to buy things. It's like, no, like, let me introduce you to cool people like Lou <laughs> that are doing some cool stuff. Um, and hopefully we can all learn from each other. So it's like, I have that that kind of challenge and balance myself sometimes there's like like I said you focus on what works but instead of not which is not always what you like but then I go if I like it does that mean that it's not being effective (laughs) and I have that balance where I go is it simply an indulgence or does it actually take you know take a real role in in what I'm trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. yeah I know we talked about saying yes, but sometimes you have to also say no to things and, yeah. and, and focus on the important tasks for sure. Yeah, I, I get that a lot of times. And, and anybody that's listening to the podcast long term will often hear me talk, talk about random things with guests as I, I'm kind of thinking about them. was like things I'd like to do, much like the Twilight 5000, which is actually probably a little more accessible for me. But I remember speaking with... Um, why did I, well, I'm blanking on her name, uh, bronze medal swimmer from 2008. Oh, I can't think of her name right now. I'm, it, anyway, it'll, it'll come to me. Um, talking about like doing a pros versus Joe's swim meet because mm-hmm. there's that idea. And you can do the same thing with running, um, although that's, it's a little more accessible. Uh, you know, there's the idea like when the Olympics come around that people just don't have their perspective of quite how fast people are in the pool or on the track or whatever it is and it's like if they could actually see it somehow have a demonstration of like this is you know average just swimming or running versus like you know the best in the world like how much different that is than like maybe there'd be a, like a, a more of an appreciation for the time, work and effort that takes to get to that level. Um, but I, anyway, so I'm down my own uh, rabbit hole here, but it, I, I often like mull about these different things on the podcast that, that don't come to fruition or at least not yet. And uh, I get excited about them because they're like personal indulgences 
you know, like having a swim meet, I don't know that that would help me achieve any business objectives, but it'd be a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, with the, with the, the 5,000 on the track, you got the pacers and I think that, did you have like, like sub elite, like a sub elite uh, heat where you'd have guys going like 15, sub 15, that kind of thing? Yeah, builds. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Minneapolis had a guy run like 14, 15 or something fast mm. or fast like that. So, yeah. um, but no, I would say like 15 minutes is probably like the, you know, that's the, the barrier that is trying to get broken in the last heat which is yeah. which is cool like that second year we did it in, in boston the first year we did it on the track we had three guys in the same heat break 15 for the first time in their lives and that was really special you know um so that's why i jump into pace too like it's cool to be a part of that and yeah and bring someone through so but then, i mean like that like just that scenario it, we have got i assume you're running like slower heats first to the faster heats at the end which is pretty traditional and then you've got people hanging around that were in the slower heats can see that as the pace gets faster and faster and faster and we go along it's like i don't know it's it's boring for some people and that's fine but there's something just like more visceral about watching somebody actually run that pace versus even when you see it on tv like it doesn't quite translate you know we can watch the olympics we watch the 10k and they're going 26 minute pace and you're like oh they look like they're out for a jog like yeah because they make it look so easy but they're they're going ridiculously fast and i just it doesn't translate quite as well as to if you were in person and watching them do that yep yeah i mean that's a piece of it too is like we want to um make track more accessible for people uh, yeah you know, we're, we're sharing our, our passions with as many people as we can. And yeah, watching a, you know, a 14, 35 K is, is pretty cool. Uh, something that a lot of people haven't seen. So, yeah. Are you going to end up, are there thoughts to expand the events to go like 1500 and the, and the 5,000 or are we just sticking with the 5,000 for now? I think probably keep it to the 5,000. It's a really accessible distance mm -hmm. and relatable distance and you know often we get people that are training for fall marathons so mm -hmm. it's you know nice to work on a little speed in the in the summer so um you know we do love the mile too so you know, yeah some way some somewhere down the road we'll plan something with a mile but um i think for now you know keeping the branding really strong around the event and yeah. what it scale is probably more important so. right right it, it that's just you know, I'm not trying to push you in any particular direction. It's just my brain going, what about this? What about that? So I just had the opportunity yeah. to, to ask you about it. So I do. Um, so you, you kind of rolled your eyes at me earlier um, when I was talking about the uh, Olympic marathon trial qualifications. Um, well, I, was, I was rolling my eyes at you saying that uh, trying to qualify for the Olympics. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe you have a good day. You yeah, know, I think about it. And I know I think about it. I mean, I've run, I've run 103 um, on a hilly course, mm -hmm. wire to wire. So I know that there's there's something there. Um, 
and I, you know, I, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of years to figure out the marathon, but, but yeah, you get, you definitely, you need the stars to align for sure. So, and there's a lot oh. of, a lot of guys out there that are, are dedicating a significant more amount of time to their, to their training than I am. Um, you know, they're doing it full time. So it's, it's not to say that I, I can't go out and mix it up with those guys and maybe I'll have a day, but it's, it's definitely, you know, something that's like pretty deep in the back of my mind at this point, I would say. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's fair. That's fair. But I'm just, I'm just saying that like, uh, even if you aren't, if you're saying, okay, all I can do is go to the trials and, you know, have a go, even if I don't expect to do well, it's like, I, I still feel like, you know, I think you said, I don't know if we were recording when you said this, but you know, you said, well, it's all relative and that, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all relative from other people's perspectives too, where a lot of people go, you know, like that's ridiculously fast. Like I'd be, I'd be thrilled if I was fast enough just to make it to the trials. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, but then trying to think about it from your perspective, like, okay, well, if that's all you can do, is it worth it? And that's only something you can decide on. Like, I can't tell you, of course it's worth it, Lou. Like you should spend all this time trading for it. Only you can decide if it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess I'm just like, I, I have a coworker actually, Nick, and he's run, I think 209, uh, maybe 208, but, um, but we're competitive over every distance shorter than the marathon. And then mm-hmm. the marathon, he, he kind of crushes me, but we were out in, at the Olympic trials and Hayward field for work, the track trials, not the marathon trials yeah, and yeah. just running. And like the mentality that someone like him has is like, incredible like i wish i would pay you know thousands of dollars to have that mentality it's just like it's like oh i'm I'm gonna make the team like i'm gonna i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna put it all on the line and like that's what i'm training for from now until 2024 and like that mindset will will get you to the starting line it'll get you competitive it'll get you up in the lead pack my mindset is like a little bit more like I guess, realistic and calculated. And that maybe is sometimes a bad thing in running, you know, like you need to be a little, like you need to be feeling yourself. You need to be a little arrogant and cocky. Um, and not to say that anyone who knows me knows that I'm I'm definitely a little arrogant and cocky. I think it's a, a big reason why I've gotten to where I am. But for me, like to, to get on the starting line at like an Olympic trials and, and believe that I could make the team, I would have to probably like do something leading up to it that would make me feel like I could make the team, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd have to run a 209 or a 208 at some other marathon or run like a, you know, 101 half and finish, you know, second or third in a tune-up race or something like that. Otherwise I just, it's going to be hard for me, but, but the way that I approach it is more like, you know, the, and the reason I keep doing it, I guess, is where I'm getting at, like to answer your your point um you know i i i see the possibility to get there you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like i've run i've run these times like i'm i'm just like a couple steps from being at that level and that is like that's the thing that like gets you out the door in the morning like mm-hmm. it, it gets you training hard and like you know my end all be all isn't you know to make an olympic team like that's i have other goals that 
you know, I want to accomplish before I stop running. And that's the cool thing about the sport. That is what makes it all relative. Like your goal could be to make the Olympics. It could be to win a medal at the Olympics, or it could be to run a BQ or even simpler to just finish a race, you know, like it's, it's really cool. It's all very equally motivating, I think. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's totally relative to whoever you are. And that is like the coolest thing about this, this sport. And the other cool thing about it is like, no matter how fast you are, like, even if you're the fastest person in the world, like you can always set a new goal after you accomplish the one that you want. So it just, that's what keeps people coming back like over and over and over and over again. Um, and I think that that's, that's what makes it one of the most special sports in the world is like, you can go hit your lifelong goal and then have another one staring you right in the face. So, um, so yeah. Well, the thing that I, you know, where not that it happens often, but there are just, there are just sometimes days where, you know, uh, my high school coach would say, you just, you get capture lightning in a bottle. Things just work out. And when you PR, you PR big, like it's not even it's not even close. Like, so in the marathon, we're going to be talking minutes, not like, Oh, I shaved 20 seconds off. It's like, okay, great. It could be the course or it could be a little bit of wind at your back or something, but it, you know, something big. And that's, I don't know, some, some of the, I haven't experienced it in quite some time since I transitioned to triathlon post-college and I'm just now coming back to running by itself in the last year or so, but just like, having one of those big days where like everything works out and you're just your legs are just cranking harder than you thought you could you feel good or maybe you feel terrible but you're still going I, I don't know it's maybe it's like chasing a specter in some in some aspects but I'm sure you've had days like that and it's like you can't rely on it you can't rely on it to show up and just all of a sudden be there for you but if you put I feel like if you put in enough time and consistency like one of those days will show up sooner or later mm -hmm. you know I I agree to an extent but I also think the best runners um, at any level are the ones that that show up with a positive mentality and yeah. and believe that they can run well that day no matter what they feel like and I think in a lot of ways. And I guess I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate more than anything. Cause I do agree with you that you have those days where everything clicks, but right, right, right. No, uh, that's fair. But, but yeah, like, I think what separates like some of the best runners is just like every single time they step on the track or they step on the starting line, they believe that they're gonna, that they're gonna run to the best of their ability that day, regardless of like what their legs feel like. Um, there, I, I've like come across a bunch of competitors in my life where I'm just like, I just can never beat that guy. Like he just second half of the race, he's always tougher than me. Um, for, for whatever reason, he just guts it out every single time. Um, and you know, the, the season that I broke for, like, I, you know, I felt different. I, I had three attempts and I felt differently in each one, but like I just, every time I got on the starting line that day, I just told myself that I was like going to go out and I was going to compete and I wasn't going to think overthink it or overthink how I was feeling. I was just going to like take it one lap at a time. 
and just really focus on, you know, the person in front of me and, and doing what I came to do. And like, I think if you have that mindset and you just stay really focused like that, then it clicks. And then I think the other thing, the other important piece is like, you know, you just have to put in the work, you know, like if you're fit, you're fit. Like if you, if you've done the training, if you, you know, if you're training for a marathon, if you've done your long runs and you've done your one workout a week consistently over 12 to 15 weeks, like you should be able to get on the starting line and feel confident. It was one of the first things my coach ever told me. I've been working with him for about four and a half years now. Um, and the first race he trained me for was Boston in 2017. And yeah, I mean, he was basically like, you go out, you run 90 miles a week, take one day off, do your long run on the weekend, do your two workouts, do your midweek long run, do a couple, you know, push-ups and sit-ups throughout the week, do your strides and that's it. And then you just want to be able to like get to the starting line and tell yourself on any given day, like I've done everything that I need to do to prepare for this. Um, I'm just going to go out and give it my best and we'll see what happens. And mm-hmm. um, that, the mentality, like the mentality piece of it is hard to teach, you know, mm-hmm. like some people I always say like, have that like killer instinct. Um, and I, I've seen it click for some people and it's just like, I honestly think that the sport is like so much more mental than we, than we give it credit for. I know Mm -hmm. we know it, but like, but, but yeah, I don't think it's like a coincidence that like, that like Kipchoge wins race after race after race, you know, like he, he knows how to prepare. He has the mental edge. So, um, so yeah, anyway, to play devil's advocate slightly. (laughs) No, well, there's always nuance, right. Where it's like, nothing's, this way or that way and you know we have even though we are both have uh, a number of years uh, in running we have different experiences and different mental backgrounds different coaches different you know so many different things so it's like even something is as i said complex as simple as running like there's still all the little nuance to try to like totally figure out um but as we're starting to wind down on time, Lou, uh, there's a question I ask everybody each season. I have a different question each season. Um, and this season, my question, which is for you today, is how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Um, I'm trying to think of like an example of, of when that happened, but um, it's definitely challenging. Uh, one thing that I tell a lot of the athletes that I coach is um, train for what excites you and what motivates you. Um, so I think one thing, if you have like a very like specific goal that you're trying to accomplish and, and you don't hit it, um, it can be like super, super demoralizing. And I think you either need to, you either need to like, come out of that training cycle and, and say like, okay, I'm going to change it up and train for something else and, and switch gears a little bit, or you're still really motivated and you're going to go after it again. I think people get really like beaten down in this sport when they have a goal that they're trying to accomplish, like really, really, really badly. And they just over and over and over and over again, come up short. And I think that's where, that's where people start to fall out of love with running. Um, I think it's really important. There's a reason why I've, I've done the mile and the marathon and I go back and forth. I just, I, I train for what is like exciting me 
that at the moment, because I know it's going to get me out the door every day and, and keep me working hard. So I think what I would tell someone who came up short of a goal is like, take, take a week, like think about, think about it, think about where you came up short, um, do some, do some reflection and, and ask yourself, like, is this something that I want to commit myself to for another 12 to 16 weeks? Or is there something else that's exciting me? Um, because I was a miler in college and ran 408 in 2011. I never thought I'd run another mile again in my entire life and then broke four in 2018. So it's like, just because like, just because you're not hitting the goal that you want to hit in the moment doesn't mean you're never going to hit it. A lot of times you just need, you know, to change it up or a renewed mindset or, you know, try something slightly differently. So, um, so yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, don't press, like, just like, keep it chill, like, um, make sure you're training for something that motivates you. Don't overthink it. And if you do all of the important things, um, it'll click. If you want it bad enough, it'll click. So. Good answer. Um, Lou, where can people find you, get in touch, see what you're up to, all that kind of stuff? Um, so I am on uh, Strava. Um, you can follow my training there. Um, I'm on Instagram as well. I post there maybe twice a week. Um, a lot about um, my dog and, and my partner, but also a lot about my running and, um, and my job as well. Um, and I'm way less on Twitter. Uh, although I'm on, tw I'm on Twitter every day. I just don't I would still say like, yeah, <laughs> way more than, uh, way more than me, which is basically not at all. I have so, a lot of like friends and, and coworkers that are on Twitter and mm -hmm. like are tweeting like several times a day. I just like, I can't. That's, of, I don't know. That's too much. No. I think you've got, I, I would say, so, uh, it's Lou Serafini. Yeah. And, I think I'm Lewis. Yeah. I'm Lou Serafini one on Instagram and Lewis Serafini on Twitter. Yeah. On Twitter, I think. So. I, I don't have the Instagram pulled up, but the, the Twitter's definitely up. It, it, I would say you've got a, a, a healthy amount of tweets. I would say, <laughs> I would say that in my right, opinion right. for what that's worth. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't figured out Twitter yet. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I actually, I haven't figured out Instagram either. I don't know. <laughs> That's, you're, you're not alone, man. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for hanging out with me today and uh, for sharing all your insights. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Uh, have a good weekend and hopefully we'll cross paths at some point. Absolutely.